AI with Sally, a podcast that takes a closer look at some of the most interesting technology stories on artificial intelligence and machine learning. We'll hear about the latest in hardware and software that has a big impact on the world of AI. I'm your host, Sally Ward-Foxton. Welcome back to AI with Sally. In this episode, I'll be talking with Dylan Muir from neuromorphic processor company Syncense about the latest design win, a toy robot. We'll also be speaking about the technology's synergies with dynamic vision sensors and why this type of camera hasn't seen better commercial adoption just yet. You can hear that interview with Dylan Muir later in this episode. But first, some news. I travelled to Germany for Embedded World a few weeks ago and I had a blast. I got a sneak preview of ST Micro's new microcontroller with its in-house developed AI accelerator on chip, the STM32N6. The demo was running a custom version of YOLO at 314 frames per second, which is one to two orders of magnitude faster than the next biggest microcontroller alone. I also got to see the first AI demo on an ARM Cortex M85 on the Renesas booth. The M85 is ARM's brand new Cortex M core with vector extensions for machine learning. I also stopped by to see Pete Warden, CEO of Useful Sensors, who told me the company's open-sourced a TensorFlow Lite version of the OpenAI model Whisper for speech recognition, and that the company's working on a QR code sensor with a speech processing sensor on its roadmap. To read about all the cool things I saw in Embedded World, pop over to eetimes.com, where I've put a link to the article on the podcast page. We also saw the latest round of MLPerf inference scores this month, with two chip startups claiming they can beat the market leader, NVIDIA, albeit both in specific benchmarks and both on power efficiency. Taiwanese startup NewChips, which is building a data center chip dedicated to recommendation inference, showed off 1.67x the performance per watt compared to the same number of NVIDIA H100s in server mode, which is the more realistic scenario for recommendation, according to the company. We also saw good results from edge chip company Simmer, Simmer took on NVIDIA's AGX Orin on ResNet and produced favorable performance per watt results compared to the market leader. While there are usually extensive software tweaks that go into optimizing these benchmark scores, Simmer's code is push button, no further optimization needed. Simmer's CEO told me there's potential to improve performance by moving to more advanced process nodes in the future. They're on 16 nanometer with the current generation. There was also a lot of discussion about which hardware might be best for running inference on ChatGPT and similar models. The closest comparison with the current benchmarks is BERT Large, which NVIDIA won with its H100. A larger GPT-class benchmark is coming to the next round of training benchmark scores, which are due next quarter. As usual, I've combed through nearly 7,000 benchmark scores and 6,000 words of supporting statements and spoken to a lot of different companies to be able to pick out the most interesting scores and written up hopefully a readable summary of this round of results. If you're interested in my report, you can check it out at eetimes.com. More changes at Tens Torrent this month as former CEO Lubiza Bajic has stepped down as CTO. If you'll recall, last month Bajic switched roles with Jim Keller, who became CEO. Tens Torrent didn't make the reason for his departure public, but said it'll remain on the company's board of directors so he can continue in an advisory capacity. The company also said GPU guru Raja Kuduri has joined its board. Kuduri is a well-known GPU architect who left Intel just a few weeks ago to form a generative AI software startup focused on media and entertainment. Kuduri told me he joined Tens Torrent to work with Keller and promote the growing RISC-V ecosystem. He also promised more details on his new startup when the time comes. You can read the full story at eetimes.com. 
I'm sure you've seen by now the open letter from the Future of Life Institute, signed by Joshua Benjo, Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak and others, calling for a six-month pause in development of AIs more powerful than GPT-4. The idea would be to allow some time to consider appropriate regulation. Now, this has been discussed in a lot of places over the last few weeks, with Yan Lacan and Andrew Ng even hosting a live debate about it and why it wouldn't be a good idea to have a six-month moratorium. Lacan points out that it's products that should be regulated, not R&D, while Ng said legislation to pause AI would be really terrible innovation policy. Cerebra's CEO Andrew Feldman told me separately that it would be difficult to separate the letter from the signatory's interests, but that the intention may just have been to start a conversation and initiate appropriate regulation. If you want to read the full story, head over to the podcast page at eetimes.com where I've put a link to my story. Neuromorphic processor company SynSense has two families of spiking neural network accelerator. Dynap CNN is for accelerating the spiking equivalent of convolutional networks used in image processing. And recently introduced Xylo for ultra-low power processing of time series sensor data like audio and vibration. I last spoke to SynSense about a year ago when the company partnered with dynamic vision sensor company Prophecy. At that time, SynSense had already integrated its Dynap CNN processor with a dynamic vision sensor, or DVS sensor, from another company called Innovation in a module known as SPEC. DVS sensors, as you'll recall, produce an output only when pixel data changes. This means you get a very low bandwidth version of the scene, only showing moving objects. Future Prophecy module will be higher resolution than the existing Innovation SPEC module for different use cases. Sinsense recently showed off a toy robot that could recognize and copy gestures on the show floor of a toy fair in China. The robot uses the spec module. Um, and this robot was the first thing I asked about when I spoke to the company's Dylan Muir. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a partnership with this company, Kunyu, which makes this sort of modular uh, programmable blocks. Um, and they they're going to build one with our little spec module inside so you you must remember spec right this little sensor plus processor fully integrated uh based on the whole dynamic vision sensing and the the spike driven convolutional neural network arc blocks and so on Uh, and the idea is to um to make it into smart sensors so smart human posture sensors uh gesture hand gesture body gesture um that you will have a, a few different apps that you could you can then load into this thing, uh, and either have it as like a reprogrammable sensor uh, with some number of fixed apps, or maybe it will be sold as okay, you buy the gesture sensing version, and then it's kind of fixed with the firmware on that on that block. Um, but the, the underlying hardware will basically be the same. Uh, it will be will be based around spec, um, where the output is then you know the result. Uh, the detected gesture, right? So it becomes a, uh, a very intelligent um, visual sensor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, they seem very happy with uh, uh, with the, with the partnership going forward. Um, the toy market in general is is very interesting for us. Okay. Uh, it's obviously a very high volume market, which is of course always appealing. Yeah. Uh, if you you get your your device in one toy, that's sort of you know. Um, 100k to 1 million to 10 million units per year, which is of course very uh, very exciting. Um, and it's a uh, it's a low what's the word I'm looking for here the the 
performance requirements, the accuracy requirements for the applications are, are modest, right? Uh, if your your toy robot misses a gesture one time in twenty, that's no problem. Yeah. Um, you know, compared with uh, with some sort of high resolution CCTV or autonomous driving application or something like that, uh, it's it's a much simpler and easier application, uh, which which is also appealing. So then the development time is is much shorter and the development costs are much lower for us on our end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you talk to the IC designers and the engineers, uh, the, the researchers that may be a bit underwhelmed that it goes, <laughs> this deep tech stuff that we've been developing goes into toys. But, um, you know, from a, a business and market perspective, it, it makes complete sense. Yeah. I and mean, it doesn't mean we, we can't also do these other uh, more exciting yeah. <laughs> industrial robotics applications and so on, which is also in the pipeline. But uh, yeah. we, we do the easy stuff first, right? The low-hanging fruit. Exactly. I was going to say it's quite tight margins in like consumer electronics though, right? Kind of price-wise, they will negotiate a, a good deal with you guys. So it's not easy from that perspective. Yeah, uh, of course. And, and the fact that it's... Uh, Simpler applications also means that that uh, uh, you don't have the high margins on on the application as well as on and the hardware. Of course, uh, they want to push the, the cost down as low as possible. Um, sure, I mean that's that's definitely true. Uh, but the high volumes kind of make up for that to some extent, and uh, uh, it's it's not a zero margin <laughs> product for us. Um, we have to uh, we have to still turn a turn a profit. Um, yeah, but the, it's a very, it's an easy early market for us to get into and, uh, show that we are, we are able to ship volume. We're able to, to ship, uh, working products. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's obviously important for a company at our stage. Okay. And in the robot is the spec module using the existing, your, it's the spec module using your existing chip and the innovation camera, right? So it's fully integrated. Uh, yes, it uses the innovation IP for the sensor, this particular mm -hmm. version, um, and that's it's used. This is our current our current device. Uh, so it's it's available uh, this year at that sample quantities, mm -hmm. um, meaning you know 10k, 100k units, uh, something like this, and. Um, that this is this is our, our sort of our, our working uh, engineering sample that we will go to volume production on. Um, there, pro there probably will be further iterations, uh, future tape outs in the coming years, but um, this is, this design is now fairly stable, fairly mature. Uh, that's what we're that's what we're shipping this year, and that's what we're shipping also in, in the development kits which are available at the moment. Okay, and remind me, this is mixed signal or digital? This is fully digital. Uh, okay. It's an asynchronous digital architecture. Okay. I mean, the, the, the pixel itself obviously is, has got some analog components for the, the yeah. photo detector the and so on. But, uh, yeah. The processing side is is fully digital. Okay. Seems like you have two families of chips: the one that's in the spec <laughs> module, and then there's another family which is mm -hmm. newer, older. Yeah, it's it's a little bit newer. Yeah, okay. uh, so that's we're targeting that for natural signal processing, meaning audio, biosignals, uh, vibration, 
IMU accelerometers, things like this. Uh, this is we've we've had a few takeouts already for the Xylo family. Um, we have a dev kit available with a, an audio version, so that includes a little digital. Uh, processor core plus a very efficient audio front end. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a recent publication, some presentations from the end of last year, where we're demonstrating uh, ultra low power audio processing applications on that chip um, at, at a few hundred microwatts. Uh, so the idea then, of course, is also smart low power edge sensory processing. Uh, the family will will We'll, we'll have a common uh, processor architecture plus a number of very efficient sensory interfaces. So we have audio uh, out already. We have an IMU sensory interface, which we're bringing up and testing actually at the moment, uh, which we, we, have, we plan to have samples available at the end of this year, beginning of next year. Uh, and then there will be other um, sensory interfaces for, for other classes of application as well. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take these in turn uh, for the use cases that, that look like they're most commercially accessible. Is the architecture the same as for the uh, the chip that's in spec? It's different, right? It's a different architecture. So spec is really tailored for, for vision processing applications, yeah. uh, and it does very efficient convolutional neural network inference. Mm -hmm. uh, Xylo is a more general purpose architecture um, for mostly non-convolutional network architectures. Uh, it also has a, a, a more advanced neuron model. Uh, so it's still spiking neurons, of course. Mm -hmm. um, the spiking neurons on spec are very simple. They're essentially just a digital counter uh, with no temporal dynamics. Um, Whereas the neurons on Silo are a, a simulation of a, a leaky integrate and fire spiking neuron, so a very standard spiking neuron model, uh, including these temporal dynamics, which are very configurable on the chip. So that it, that's really suited for temporal signal processing. So when, when we do things like um, uh, keyword spotting, for example, for audio processing, the, the standard neural network approach is to buffer you know, 100 milliseconds or 50 milliseconds of audio, produce a spectrogram for that 100 milliseconds, and then treat that as an image. Uh, we don't do that. We really operate in a continuous streaming mode um, where we, we process the audio as it comes into the device, uh, meaning we can have potentially lower latency. Um, we don't need to do buffering. We don't need uh, – we can get away with – smaller resources for the temporal signal processing because we've got this uh, temporal integration of information in the neurons themselves. And so this lets us operate at, at lower power. Again, asynchronous digital. That The Xylo chip is synchronous digital. The reason for the difference is uh, the, the DVS sensor is fundamentally asynchronous itself. Okay. Um, and if you've got a static camera application then there can be basically nothing changing, nothing going on uh, in the visual scene. And then you get basically no input and you don't need to do anything. Whereas for audio processing, you, you've always got ambient sound coming in. And so you you essentially need to be processing continuously. Uh, and then the, the synchronous digital design is a simpler design. With synchronous design, how do I take into account these timing factors? that we thought that you're talking about? 
so it's a it's a, it's a clocked architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, uh, if I so you, if I understand your question correctly, so when you build the application, you uh, you choose uh, a clock rate that you want to be operating at, and you optimize your application to operate at that time scale. Uh, your sensory interface, so audio, for example, has its own um, time scale. So it's, it, it, it's operating in real time, but there's maybe some sampling frequency uh, associated with the audio. We have a, a network operating frequency uh, inside Xylo, and the application is built with, with these timescales in mind. Um, so we, we can choose over what length of time do we need to integrate information, um, can, be, can be very long, several seconds if we want, can be extremely short, uh, some milliseconds. Um, and we, we can adjust these timescales dependent on, on the application requirements. Does, does that answer your question? I'm not sure I completely Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I guess I am a bit stuck on the idea that with synchronous digital, like with ordinary synchronous digital, you're very tied to the clock cycles and so on and kind of tweaking the, the timing of these things with, with leaky integrating fire that we're talking about. I guess I don't fully understand how you can do that with this synchronous architecture. Asynchronous seems very obvious to me how that works, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, essentially, we have a, a, a digital clocked simulation of, of the leaky integrating fire dynamics on site. Okay. Uh, and so your your input clock frequency might be, for example, um, five megahertz. Mm-hmm. But then the the network dynamics uh, can be slower than this. Um, you can choose to integrate over several seconds. Uh, and then the simulation of each individual neuron is is um, computed inside Xylo, uh, but you can choose a long time scale to, uh, to to continuously integrate information inside the neuron if you if you so desire. It's essentially a little a little synchronous uh, ASIC core for for inference in uh, spiking neurons, including these temporal dynamics. So we're, we're, we're just running a little digital simulation of the, of the spiking neuron dynamics. To what extent do I have to understand all the temporal dynamics and everything to actually use the product? Like how easy is it to actually program this chip and, and use it? Uh, it's, a, it's a neural network sort of framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you need to have some experience with uh, machine learning in a neural network sense, deep neural network sense. Yeah. Uh, we, we try to make these things as easy as possible. Uh, so we have a, a fairly robust tool chain now, open source tool chain, um, which, which is what we use internally for development, but we want uh, third parties to also be developing applications, obviously for our, for our hardware. Uh, it's, um, uh, th- this, it's a small step, it's a step, but a small step from a standard neural network architecture to a spiking neural network architecture. Uh, historically, it's it's been um, uh, we've made it much simpler than it has been historically to build these applications. Now we have interns coming in that have never touched a spike in neural network, and within a couple of months, they're deploying applications to our chips. Um, that's that's a lot easier than it has ever been <laughs> in the past yeah. for, the, yeah. for this type of technology. It, it, you know, it used uh, years and years ago before the company started. It was 
at least a PhD's worth of effort to build something like this. Uh, and so we, we've, we've sped that up considerably. Um, I think we can make it even easier. Uh, my dream is that, I think I've probably said this to you before, that a, a machine learning engineer can watch a half hour YouTube video and then start building applications through our hardware. Uh, and we're getting very close to that point. Great. And all of these questions of time scale and so on come into building the application. So it's a it's a machine learning uh, framework to build these things. You have your your training data. Uh, in the case of the temporal signal processing, that includes the temporal information that you need. And during the application process, the application learns to extract the different time scales that it needs. Last time we spoke, which admittedly was a while ago, um, you had partnered with Prophecy also. How is that collaboration going? That's going very well. Uh, we've we've fabricated a device with Prophecy. Great. Um, and and this is where we're testing this, examining this at the moment in conjunction with them. Okay. To be clear, it uses a different processor that you've made compared to the spec module or the same? It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's this, the processor IP is basically the same same okay. design. That, that's our processor design uh, for spec, the, these little Dynapse CNN cores. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's what we apply for vision processing. Okay. So we, we've also uh, we've also looked at, for example, an RGB standard CMOS camera interface, uh, which we could then also process using the same spiking CNN architecture. Mm -hmm. we, we do get asked uh, from, from customers for quite often about having an RGB standard CMOS interface. Yeah, people um, still. So I feel like there's still some reluctance on DVS cameras. Um, people part, want to see the that, full frame, right? Uh, it's it's certainly a lot easier for humans to visualize what's going on if you're looking at standard frame-based uh, image-based you know, image processing. Um, I think part of that is also that the technology has been around for a while with no uh, commercial application available to a consumer market. Um, this, that, that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of a shame. Uh, I think the technology is, it has a lot of benefits. Um, but in my opinion, one of the, the main reasons for that is there's not a very easy way to process this data, uh, using commodity hardware. And so when people buy a DVS camera from innovation or prophecy or, or anybody else, usually the first thing they do when they plug it in is convert the data into a standard frame and then use standard frame-based image processing approaches on this stuff. Uh, and Prophecy, for example, has spent a lot of effort uh, in building applications, basically finished applications that they can give to their, their customers uh, that try to make efficient use of the data. Because if you convert it to a frame, you're losing all of the benefits of, of this event-based imaging. And innovation has, has the same kind of um, barrier that, that they face. Yeah. Uh, and so, the, the main selling point or the, the unique selling proposition, I suppose, would be the, the marketing speed term of our technology is that we can natively use that very sparse image stream without doing the frame conversion. So we can really extract uh, the full efficiency from, from that vision stream. So, you know, I, I think that we have, obviously, of course, I think we have the best chance of of showing a commercial, a successful commercial application uh, of the DVS technology in conjunction with our technology because of, of this perfect fit, you know, this kind of co-design of the processing architecture. 
Yeah, I hear what you're saying about the kind of synergies between your technology and theirs, but with you know with that in, with that in mind, it's like if it's a if it's a a question of getting getting people to 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 adopt new technology, it's not just one new technology they're trying to adopt; it's two at the same time. I like it's. A, I feel like it might, it might come across as another barrier to entry. You see what I mean? Well, I hope not. Um, okay. The the. When we, when I'm speaking to customers, I don't use the word neuromorphic. I, okay. I don't talk about spiking neural networks. I don't talk okay. about DBS sensors or event-based imaging because the, the customers don't care about that. They care about what you can deliver to them. Does it work? Uh, what's the cost? What's the energy consumption? What's the performance? That's They're the metrics they care about. Uh, and the, the fine details of exactly how the technology works, they, they don't really care about too much. In fact, it can scare them off if you go into too much technical detail and they don't understand it. Yeah. Um, because it is it is a, a, a kind of a deep tech kind of technology. Uh, it's, it's not just a standard microcontroller. So, you know, we, we try to sell these things as, as a, it's a smart sensor. It's a gesture sensor. And what you get on the output is what gesture has it detected? Uh, and you can interface this directly to a standard commodity microcontroller or, or application processor, and you get a gesture sensor. And you don't need to know what goes on inside. You just know that this is this is how it works and this is the performance. Uh, and that's the energy consumption. So I, I, because we're wrapping it up in that uh, use case level, application level approach, uh, I, I, I think we can get around some of that um, reluctance that people might have if we started going into the esoteric uh, event-based vision spiking neural networks mode. Yeah. So, so when you talk to machine learning engineers, uh, five years ago, they were probably a bit nervous about spiking neural networks. But in the last, are you, yeah, it was 12 months, now it's more like 24 months. In the last two years, they've been uh, a lot of very exciting and interesting results and a lot of movement uh, on using spiking neural networks for, for machine learning, uh, for large scale, larger scale machine learning. There's um, an archive paper just last month, I think, with a, spike, a spiking implementation of GPT. I'm not sure if you saw that. Uh, so, you know, th this is looking um, completely plausible now from a machine learning engineer perspective. And that helps us as well because we have to convince the, the people who aren't machine learning engineers, we also have to convince the developers uh, that they they can implement and, and build new applications for this technology. And there, of course, they do understand uh, the technology very deeply. And uh, we need to show that it's easy for them as well. Yeah. Which is why we invest so heavily in, in our tool chains. Okay. Do you have do you have effectively like a model zoo of spiking networks that I can use, or do I have to license that from you, or do you just provide them? Like, where would I literally where would I start with spiking? Uh, we have we do have a model zoo, uh, especially on the vision side. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's publicly available, but it's certainly you know if we if we sell a dev kit, then uh, then, then this is yeah. available for our partners. Uh, we have a lot of a tutorial style information on, you know, here is a spiking application. Here is a, a notebook that shows you how to build and train it, uh, deploy it to the hardware and so on. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I, when I go on the Prophecy website, they have 
all these application blocks pre-built that I can click on and download and go. So we're not quite at that point yet, um, but we, we will need to get there. So yeah, we're, we're building a lot of applications internally uh, and directly for, for clients and customers, um, but we don't yet have uh, a huge model zoo publicly available. Uh, but you have dev kits both for spec and for Xylo, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dylan Muir from Syncense, for the insightful chat about Syncense neuromorphic architecture and the synergies with DVS sensors. That brings us to the end of the episode. Please tune in again next time to hear more news and views on AI, machine learning, and the technologies that enable them. If you're listening to this on the podcast page at eetimes.com, Links to articles and topics we've discussed are shown on your left. AI with Sally is brought to you by AspenCore Media. The host is Sally Ward-Foxton and the producer is James Ede. Thank you for listening.